life is an experiment. Some might prefer it to be posed in a longer form, such as, life is an experiment to prove the existence of God. But while this statement gives the reader more insight into the situation and elaborates the original proposition, it is not entirely correct. We only need to prove his existence because we reside in a culture that has come to doubt he exists. In reality life is an experiment that vindicates the rule of God and his people. Life is an experiment that not only proves God's truth it proves there is a truth and a right way and a wrong way to live. Life is a test of our obedience to the truths of God, not of God. We define our merit and the value of what we do by determining how close we live to what is true. Our merit is determined by the value we create. The value of our work is determined by the market, which is another name for the experiment. An experiment has a test group and control group and a way to divide the two groups based on what is being studied. As we are testing life itself there must be two lives or ways of living. These two realities have to be diametrically opposed to each other, if they are to be experimentally separated. The division has to be such that it is able to separate all of humanity into two groups. The idea of there being two groups of persons is not unknown to us, but few think there is a qualitative difference between us and them. The most common division is the one that divides us into the left and right political wings. Other divisions are those of atheist and Christian, rich and poor and western and eastern. The Bible talks about the people of the flesh and those of the spirit. This is the division that we will focus on here. The other divisions are more illusory than real. There is too much switching between these other groups to make them scientifically useful. The people of the spirit are reborn in the spirit. Those of the flesh are born in the flesh and remain in the flesh. There is a way to demark one group from the other. If we were testing a medicine, we would divide the participants into two groups. If the result of the test was the same in both groups, the medicine would be no better than a placebo. There has to be a distinct difference in outcomes in the two groups to justify us thinking one alternative is significantly better than the other. But how does one test lifestyles? How do we test realities? How do we control for outliers and the potential for random factors intruding? Are there not too many variables in a human life to make comparisons? Scientists have always thought so. The social sciences have always been considered the home of narrative because it has always been considered impossible to quantify life in a meaningful way. Even if I say I am living by God's word and you mock me, there is no variable I can quantify to either prove my claim or that you are doomed to destruction. How do we even divide the world into two groups, as this is what the experiment requires? It can be said with some confidence that this would be impossible were there no God. Because if there is no God there is no qualitative difference between groups. The ability to construct an experiment to prove God is a sufficient proof of God, or ought to be. But to prove that life, if it is lived right, constructs such an experiment, not just naturally but of necessity, is unequivocal evidence for God's existence. Surely, if it can be demonstrated we have to prove God exists to eliminate social problems, 
is a proof of God that cannot be disputed by any but the most unrepentant sinner. First thing that must be done is to set the stage, at least for the test group. There are two realities and two races. The components of the experiment are intrinsic to the way reality is constructed. Needless to say the reader has to understand, the experiment is challenging the assumptions of the control group, so it will not adhere to the conventional assumptions held by those in the control group. The experiment postulates there cannot be only one reality, nor can there be more than two. Two realities and two races are the only possible number of races and realities. The one reality hypothesis is the idea, embraced by the control group, that only one, physical reality exists. This physical, objectively real, reality contains all observable things, and these observable components make up the entirety of the universe. There is no other possible universe. There are conceptions about reality and other possible universes that people adhere to, but there is only one physical real universe. Everything else other than the physical universe are ideas about reality and do not have true existential validity. But the philosopher will notice a problem with the one reality hypothesis. The very statement concerning the absoluteness of the naturalist conception of reality disproves its own premise by contradicting it. Those in the test group agree, the one reality hypothesis does encompass all possible universes of a certain type. However, the test group has observed that even when it claims to include all possible universes, the one reality hypothesis actually excludes one possible universe and one possible reality. If all realities are included, they are all partial truths and based on partial understandings, making them relativistic. But a universe of relative truth of necessity excludes a universe of absolute truth. The one reality hypothesis, ORH, does not just implicitly exclude a reality of absolutes, it explicitly demonstrates this reality exists by contradicting its premise. The two-reality hypothesis assets there is not just a physical, observable reality that cannot exist because it contradicts its own premise, but there is a logically coherent conception of the universe that is by definition not composed of a self-contradiction. This means one conception of reality is insufficient to encompass all possible observations, but it is sufficient to ensure us. There is more than one reality but there cannot be more than two. The ORH postulates a reality that is said to be observable but that is the one thing it is not. No one can see or has seen physical reality. We are impacted by forces through our physical senses, or this is what our brains tell us. Everything we see and know about reality is located in the brain as electrical impulses. We have no idea what is experiencing electrical activity as four-dimensional reality but whatever it is, seems to be located in the brain. There is objectivity in this reality but no absolutes and no metaphysics. These are not permitted. Yet, this inducted reality cannot exist without the introduction of absolutes and metaphysical truths. The very denial of anything but what is physical is a metaphysical position. The truth is, there exists two sets of people who think in diametrically opposed ways. 
The rudiments of this are seen in conservatism and liberalism and in Christianity and religions, but these divisions only permit us to see dimly what Christ helps us to see clearly. In the Bible we hear of the saved and unsaved and the ones born in the flesh and those who are reborn in the Spirit. The important point to note here is that these are not evolutionary, they are qualitative differences. The division is such that there is no overlap. The law of the excluded middle applies to the experiment and to the division discussed in Scripture. The people of the flesh are the control group. This is easy to see. The control group are those who embrace the idea of one, all-encompassing physical reality with one human race. The people of the flesh believe truth is inductive, relativistic, and only statements expressed as probabilities are possible. There is no absolute, logical truth and no objective morality. But, as we have mentioned, this negation of any other reality or possibility requires a reality that is logical, absolute, and a reality in which truth can be deduced from propositional axioms. All true statements are analytical. Statements about physical reality are synthetic. All metaphysics and analytical truths point to an alternative reality, a reality that is qualitatively absolute. Those who embrace this reality are a second race of persons, created by a spiritual rebirth. This is a metaphysical event. The control group is obviously the easiest problem to overcome. It is composed of everyone who continues to live in the same way and who refuse to take part in the experiment. The test group is more problematical as it requires a conscious decision to participate. Becoming part of the test group requires a division between us and the control group. There is a separation. Joining the test group is not just about the positive choices one makes, it is also about systematically rejecting the parameters of the control group. It is at this point that things become problematical for the experimenter. By the terms set out in the experiment's guidelines, there cannot be evil people in the test group. Additionally, the way the experiment is set up, the test group must exclude all evil activity. No member of the secular race can participate as part of the test group. The two races are Homo sapiens sapiens who form the control group. As a practical matter this group is everyone who continues to live as they have. But to participate in the test group requires a rebirth. Homo sapiens sapiens becomes Homo sapiens a priorian. The test group is logically wise. They adhere to an objective moral standard. This requires a strict obedience to scripture. The first and foremost requirement is the divestment of all things stolen or gained through illegitimate means. It is one thing to repent with one's lips, it is another to get right with God. The depth of the control group's sense of justice only tells them we cannot take, without due process, things owned by another person. But the control group does not look at the ownership model used to justify their position. What right have we to any part of the physical world? We did not create it and the only way we can claim it is by the use of force or threat of physical force. The use of force as a way to legitimize ownership puts the person solidly in the control group. 
one cannot profess to be part of the test group and lay claim to the things of God. It is tantamount to sitting in the high seat of God. For the control group this is a dilemma because they know they need physical things to survive. Businesspersons even think that since they invested in land and equipment and other things, they have a right to harvest the increase. But that is the way those in the control group think. They think this way because they do not know God. The test group understands that physical property does not eliminate risk or threats of loss, and indeed, often exacerbates the problem. The test group creates a church as the representative of Christ on earth and donates all commercial property to the church. Personal property is accepted because this is under a special dispensation. The church issues currency based on the equity of the assets received. If the applicant donates $500 worth of assets the experiment issues 500 units of equity in the form of preferred shares to the member. As units of exchange, they can be referred to as prefers and designated by the symbol. The experimenters are organized into sectors headed by councils. When a business is to be capitalized the relevant council assigns assets to that industry. If an activity ceases to be needed the assets that compose it are shifted by the council to other sectors. In this way full employment and full utilization of resources is maintained. When buyers purchase goods and services their account is debited. When goods or services are sold the seller's account is credited. In this way accounts always remain in balance and inflation is eliminated and taxation is no longer needed.